Hey, a quick note before we jump into this episode. Here at Leading Saints, we are trying to do more How I Lead interviews. Now, what's a How I Lead interview? You've probably heard them before. It's where we find everyday leaders around the world who are serving in one capacity or another, maybe an elder scorn president, Relief Society president, the ward mission leader, high counselor, stake presidency counselor, so many different callings of leadership that we have in our faith tradition. And we like to sit down with them one-to-one and just say, how is it that you lead? Give us a few principles, put it into perspective. What's your area like? And these turn into phenomenal resources of best practices. And it's just always fun to hear what the other guy is doing. So if you know somebody who we could interview on the How I Lead segment, regardless of their calling, we would love to connect with them. Go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and send us the information, maybe get, give them a heads up, and we'd love to reach out to them, connect, and see if we can get them on the Leading Saints podcast for one of our How I Lead segments. Again, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and send us the information. Alex, I'm here with Alex. Uh, tell us, Alex, where are you from? Who are you? And what does Leading Saints mean to you? And why do you support us? Hey, Kurt. I, uh, Alex, I live down in, um, in Mesa, Arizona, uh, currently serving as a bishop and I love leading saints uh, because it is a source of revelation for me. It helps me learn about myself. It helps me recognize inspiration I get from the Ward Council and see the wonderful potential I have in the Ward. I'm just really thankful for all that you do. It's a great cause. Thank you. Welcome back to the Leading Saints podcast. My name is Kurt Frankham your host, and I'm excited to share another episode with you. If you're new to Leading Saints, we're glad you found us. We hope you stay, subscribe, join our newsletter, which you probably heard about earlier in this recording, and uh, I hope you benefit from this content. Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead, and we do that through content creation and publishing. And so this podcast is a good example of that. We have uh, virtual summits that we that we produce. We have thousands of articles at leadingsaints.org. Encourage you to go to leadingsaints.org slash about to really hear the depth of our, our mission and, and our purpose. And so we hope that you subscribe and stay a while and benefit from this content, just like today's episode. Now, in today's episode, I interviewed Jana Spangler, and I actually interviewed Jana for the Questioning Saints Virtual Summit. She did a phenomenal presentation there, which I strongly recommend. If you go to leadingsaints.org slash questioning, you can see the details about how to access that content. And I believe it was after the interview, she brought up uh, some thought or idea that she has been uh, wrestling with uh, in the context of being a Latter-day Saint, and that is this uh, concept of service. You know, uh, we're very good at serving people, but we're not so good maybe at being in solidarity with them. Now, when she said that, I probably had a similar reaction to you, like, solidarity? What on earth? Like, what are we talking about, right? And so she talks about, in this interview, we have a great discussion between the difference between solidarity and service. and. When does service look like? What does solidarity look like? Why is solidarity more effective in our faith community and how it can have a more unifying effect? Just a phenomenal, phenomenal discussion. This is a raw discussion, a real discussion. And so I hope you'll give us a lot of grace as we try and talk through some of these principles, especially myself. But nonetheless, just a a very important discussion that I feel like a lot of uh, Latter-day Saints can benefit from as they're engaging in, in ministering, right? That's such a strong tradition in our faith. And uh, sometimes we don't know what to do. Sometimes the people don't give us any, any way to serve them, or we just feel like we're bothering them and, and all these things. So we, she gives some great advice and perspectives that can really help us be more focused on solidarity rather than just service, which service is great and it needs to continue, but it can be very superficial at times. And But we need to dive deeper. 
So here is my interview with Jana Spangler. Today I'm in Holiday, Utah, in the home of Jenna Spangler. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. Now you uh, were recently, I recently interviewed you for the Questioning Saints Virtual Summit. It was a phenomenal discussion. If people haven't heard it, they need to uh, go check it out and a lot to learn there. And I don't know if it was before or after our conversation, you sort of brought up this idea Mm -hmm. and and I think it maybe got interwoven into our our discussion Mm -hmm. and I thought, oh my goodness, that sounds awesome. And it's all around this concept of of solidarity versus service. Yeah. But before we jump into that, maybe just give us a, a brief background of who you are and, and why you even have anything to say on this topic. <laughs> okay. So my name is Janice Spangler. I live in Holiday with my husband and three kids. I am a life coach and I work for Symmetry Solutions. And we are a group of therapists and coaches who help people with a variety of things, but my specialty is in working with people who are having challenges to their faith, people who have doubts and questions, and it's causing all kinds of problems with their identity and their relationships. And And I work with a lot of mixed faith couples, people where that's rocking their world when yeah. it comes to their marriage and other things. So that's the work I do. And a, another thing about me, I am a graduate of the Living School, which is a program run by the Center for Action and Contemplation. And the director of that school is Richard Rohr. He's a Catholic priest. And basically, there I studied all about contemplative Christianity, the roots of Christianity, Christian thought, and how it affects our walk through the world and how we engage with the world and to do good and to do the work of Christianity. So that has really influenced the way that I look at a lot of things yeah. and given me some unique perspectives. Yeah, and I think just that your history and, and also your own personal faith journey yes. that you went through and and now you've, not that it's all over, always, all of us are sort of navigating faith to some there, degree. There is right? no arrival point. Right. I have news for you. <laughs> but nonetheless, you're definitely yeah. at a point where you've, you've, uh, you, you're in the church, you're mm-hmm. active, you're, yes. you know, encouraging on uh, Latter-day Saints and, and helping. And I'm so glad people mm-hmm. like you are out there that, because when somebody does go through, you know, what we probably a misnomer of a faith crisis, mm-hmm. when they go through mm-hmm. that, it's good that they have individuals who maybe experience them themselves and, and kind of coach them through that. So Absolutely. Everyone needs to be heard. That's my my biggest mantra in all of this is everyone needs the right to be able to do their faith journey the way that, that God is calling them to do it. Yeah. And so when that gets messy and complicated, we're not always equipped or knowing how to help people through it. Yeah. And so um, offering a space where people can work through that and be honest and bring all of the good, bad and ugly and have a place to work through that has, it's been really beneficial to my life. And I just am thrilled to offer that to other people. Yeah. So let's, let's jump into this topic of service and, and solidarity. And let me maybe set up a hypothetical and one that we're all familiar with. You know, we have a strong tradition of service in church. I mean, that's Christianity, right? And yes. so it's no surprise that it's part of our Latter-day Saint faith. And even our ministering program, the home teaching, visiting teaching type of program where we're assigned to families, we're sort of there to, on paper, like we get it. Like, okay, if they're, they're sick, we're there. If they need mm-hmm. something, we're there. We'll go visit them so every so often and check in with them and see if they need anything. And it's one of those things like on papers, like oh, this is a brilliant program. Like mm-hmm. why aren't more churches sort of being more organized this way? And then it just becomes awkward in the application at times where 
you know, okay, the ministering brothers are here, like, come on in and sort of this awkward exchange. And then the, the, uh, famous words of, is there anything we can do for you? And they, oh no, we're fine. You know, even though maybe your marriage is on fire or whatever, you know, and, and it's just this awkward exchange at times where like, man, I really want to help you, Mm -hmm. but I don't know how, and you don't seem to let me in. And another example I'll, I'll share that I've shared before is a few years ago, my mom went in for a screening and they found a, a, the beginning of, of, of some breast cancer. And it was really early on. I mean, she, thank goodness she did all the right things of going to checkups and it required a minor surgery. It was done and, and she was on her way. And I remember having this conversation of like, she, she intentionally didn't, maybe I should make this anonymous. My mom, mom's going to get mad at me here. <laughs> But but she intentionally didn't notify her ministering sisters. Not that she didn't want to, but you know she has four children in the area. We were more than enough support, and she didn't you know want to cause other people to fuss about her and her situation. And she was yeah. she really was fine, and yeah. she's been good ever since, right? And so there's this dynamic where we sort of feel obligated to tell people like mm-hmm. uh, I'm going through this thing. I guess you're supposed to do something for me, even if I don't need it. And even for myself in my own life, I know I'm rambling here, but I'm going to give a point. But in my own life, I sort of, I don't need the in-person visit even once a month, twice a month, or every other month. It just doesn't do much for me. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, I sort of feel obligated as all oh, sort of our faith tradition. Yeah, come on in. Let's have a conversation, whatever. The introvert in me is screaming, but whatever, you know. <laughs> so start us off here. What do we need to understand about what is solidarity mm-hmm. and what is service and yeah. how, do they, how do they contrast? Yeah. So just to back up a little bit, this this kind of started to dawn on me at a living school because they talk a lot about this, these ideas of solidarity versus service or charity and and how that works when we're, we're trying to help people on the margins. Right. But as I learned these concepts, I started thinking about all these situations that you're talking about. Right. And how awkward it can be in ministering. And, and one of the things that came to me was just the awareness that Everyone in the church we love, especially in the Relief Society, we love to serve mm-hmm. and we hate to be served. Right. I'll bake it's, a casserole any day of the week and right? take it to somebody, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And we love it. And we feel so good when we're able to give the casserole, when we're able to know. I mean, I can guarantee that the ministering sisters who are assigned to your mother, when they find out that this thing had happened, well, why didn't you tell us? Right, right. It's this missed opportunity for us to bring the casserole, uh-huh. right? Yeah. And Another thing that brought this to my attention is just going through a really dark time of heavy questions about the church myself Mm -hmm. in my own journey. I felt so alone in that. And so there's this dichotomy. We're so good when someone has something we can see, Mm. when they lose someone to, you know, to illness or, you know, someone passes away, when someone is going through a hard time to some extent, you know, even financially, but that's typically only the bishop that knows or, you know, whatever. But when we're going through some really physical hard times, we, we're, we're so good. This is where the strength of our networks come. Like, it's amazing. Yeah. And you do wonder why don't more churches do this? Is, yeah. This is amazing, the support that, we, that yeah. we give to one another. The downside is when you are going through marital problems, when you do have a porn addiction, when you are going through countless other problems, faith trials, whatever, you name it. Yeah. We don't want anyone to know about that. We don't want people to know when we're depressed. We don't want, we do not want people to know these things. And 
So as I learned about solidarity versus service and this distinction that they were making in this, in the school that I was in, I started to, it started to dawn on me, oh, this is an awareness that could be so helpful to us as Latter-day Saints. Yeah. Cause I've never even really, I mean, I've heard the word solidarity, but sure. not, not on a Sunday in a typical conversation at no, church. We yeah. don't talk about it, yeah. which is interesting because it is so core to the gospel. Yeah. It is so core. So I want to just kind of talk a little bit about what solidarity, what I mean. Yeah, let's unpack that. Like, what am I talking about when I talk about solidarity? And there, there are a couple of ways to look at this, and they are both Christ-centered. So, you know, the, the first thing I would say about solidarity is that it is, it is this move of being one with another person. So, you know, we get this, this invitation in the New Testament. Where Jesus says in, in his inter- intercessory prayer in John 17, 21, he talks about, he says that the, the reason that he's doing what he's doing is that they may be one as thou father art in me and I in thee. This There's is, a uni- unifying effect, right? which, ha- which has been part of this Mormon vision from the very start. And you'll have to forgive me. I use the word Mormon. I just do. <laughs> I apologize. We love you, I don't Jana. mean to That's offend fine. anyone. We're, I really we're here don't. with it you in solidarity. Out. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I just, always, I grew up as one and I will always think of one. And, sure. You know, anyway, <laughs> so I apologize, but it is very core to our tradition, right? It is very core, you know, just thinking of being a Zion community, you know, building the body of Christ. This is what we want. Now, that doesn't imply uniformity, but it does imply unity. It implies bringing all of our strengths, all of our differences, and being one with one another. Our model for service, and this is true beyond the walls of our church. This is a, a thing in society. This this is very much part of our American society and leaks into other Christian faiths as well, is we we do service more often than we do solidarity. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that, service is a top to bottom kind of a move. I'm in a good position. You are suffering in some way. You have trouble in some way. You are at the margins of society in some way. And so I need to go help you. Yeah. Let me give you a hand up. Let right? me give like- you a hand up. And it's it comes from a very good impulse. I'm not here to bash on people wanting to do yeah, service. You're not discouraging service. I'm not no. discouraging <laughs> service. This is very important. And I think it brings on a whole new dimension of trying to be one with one another and with the mission of what Christ was here to tell us to do if we can do it in a more horizontal fashion. Me, a broken individual, I'm and in this with you who are also broken in many ways. And through our solidarity in this, we recognize that neither of us are broken. That we are doing exactly what we are meant to do as human beings, that there are good reasons for us to be where we are. And that there is so much of our culture that gets in the way yeah. of this kind of a move. Yeah. And like I said, I'm I'm not I don't want to bag on anyone. I don't want to bag on the way that we've done things. I really just want to open up a new possibility of the way of seeing these things that could enhance the way that we do our leadership callings. It's certainly the way we do ministering, the way we do compassionate service. And I'm a compassionate service leader in my word, so this is near and dear yeah. to my heart. Yeah, you, you take it to a level of mortal mm-hmm. to mortal. Yes. Right? And it's so, you know, it's we, oftentimes we look towards maybe the bishop for help. Yeah. and But we kind of see the bishop on a different level. Mm-hmm. You know, he's 
his life is more put together, and that's why he is the bishop, right? And whether the bishop intended that or anybody intended that, that's sort of the natural place we go. And so we go to the bishop looking for help, like a hand up, right? Like, yep. And so naturally that service kicks in. So it's like, oh, you need help. And look, I have, you know, I, I have fast offering funds. I have you know, connections. Like, yeah, I can help you, and we should. Mm-hmm. But then we skip over that solidarity of being like, well, I'm going to come down to your level and connect and understand and and mourn with you as we're Absolutely. we're asked to do. Well, and, and what you're mentioning that the hierarchy of our church is a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Right. Hierarchy is it has helped us so. I mean, the organization of the church is amazing. It works so well because of hierarchy. The downside of hierarchy is what we're talking about. There is embedded in it. I don't care how compassionate the bishop is. There is always some sort of feeling on some sort of level, unless you grew up with the dude and you played basketball with him every week. (laughs) Then maybe you'll have a different view of the guy. But by and large, you are coming in feeling like you are on a different level. Yeah. And I remember that as a bishop several times, whether it was said directly or not, individuals look at me like, but you will never understand yeah. what I'm going through. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I never claimed I would understand. I'm just yeah. trying to help, you know, like, yeah. and and you sort of feel helpless as a leader because you're thinking, well, I mm-hmm. want to understand. I want to get mm-hmm. on that level. But yep. but they, it's that hierarchy is, it's almost you can't get it out of the way to reach that solidarity at times. But, and we just have to recognize that. Right. We have to recognize that that is a thing. It's an inherent thing. Good or right. bad. We're not saying get rid bad. of it. We're just nope. saying it's there. Right? It's there and we need to deal with it. But it automatically puts us in this place of service and it makes it brings up all of these feelings for the person who has to ask for help. There are always conscious or unconscious questions to that person of what did I do wrong to bring me to the place where I need this? We see it as something that we've done wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Which always brings that shame cycle in. Yeah. Right. And it's an unintended shame cycle, right? Absolutely. And do you know, do you know how I know it's a shame cycle? <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, in the work of Brene Brown, who uh-huh. does so much good research on shame and vulnerability yes. and all of this, you can tell when your kids, for instance, are feeling shameful about something because they don't tell you about it. Yeah. Shame is always thrives in the dark. And we live in a soup of it in this church whether we know it or not on a cultural level. And I, I don't mean to dramatize that, but there are so many things we don't want to bring forward and let our neighbors know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And that is shame. Shame cannot abide the light of day. Shame goes away as we are able to just be ourselves and let people into that. Yeah. And again, this isn't some issue with doctrine that's created this. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's tradition, you know, the, just the, the idea of, you know, of repentance mm-hmm. to the bishop is a great concept. Mm-hmm. But then there's this door that's shut. It's done behind that door. Mm-hmm. Let's not bring up, yep. we don't, let's not bother other people with mm-hmm. this. Let's get this handled and move on. Yep. And so naturally over time, we think, oh, I can talk about this in the bishop's office, mm-hmm. but I, it is inappropriate to bring up an elder's quorum. Yep. And you think, well, why? Yep. We want to connect and be in solidarity with you as much as the bishop does. Absolutely. Right? And in the elder's quorum, there's less of that hierarchy. Mm-hmm. When I'd, I'm just your brother that's mm-hmm. sitting next to you in Elder Quorum, right? Absolutely. But it, I think it's important. One of the things that I think could really serve us all in humanity, but I think it plays a particular part in in our LDS culture, is being aware of our ego needs, recognizing we all have them, and they are always informing us that 
we need to be separate, superior, on top of things, admired, right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to see how that plays out in so many ways in our culture. And we can't get rid of that. It's actually a good thing. It, 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 it helps us discern and it, it keeps us safe. It does, it does a lot of really good things we need, but we would be well served to pay attention to how it is getting in the way of our Christian journey. Yeah. Another example that comes to mind is this tradition. And I don't, mm-hmm. again, I don't know where it comes from per se, but you know, that, you know, obviously the bishop has keys mm-hmm. for the repentance process. And yep. so if a member of an elders quorum president or release side president is in a ministering interview and naturally mm-hmm. this person just says, yeah, I'm, I'm really struggling with pornography or mm-hmm. I'm really, my marriage is a mess. There's this feeling of saying, whoa, 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 you can't tell me that. Mm-hmm. You have to tell the bishop. And the bishop, but again, the, the bishop is in charge of repentance, not about mm-hmm. hearing confessions. We can confess to anybody and reach solidarity there. Yes. And oftentimes we sort of confuse that obviously the bishop is the one who, who can facilitate repentance, mm-hmm. but he's not the one that facilitates solidarity. That can be done between any two mortals. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely right. And one of the things that complicates the hierarchy as we were talking about is that the people who are chosen for leadership by and large do tend to be the people who seem to have it together. Right. And because you want some level of stability. You right? want some <laughs> level of stability. Yeah. And what comes along with that, I'm just going to come out and say it, okay. <laughs> <laughs> is often those kinds of people who at least show to the world that they have it all together uh-huh. aren't as practiced at, at living into uncertainty. They are not as practiced at being emotionally raw and letting, letting other people in to see their dark sides. This is an inherent barrier to solidarity because solidarity is a two-way relationship. It is not just the minister who comes in and and takes care of you when you're down and never shows that they have ever had a problem. Mm-hmm. That is a killer to solidarity. You can even if you know as a minister that you have been through the hard things, if you don't talk to the other person about that, if you don't let them into that, if you don't access the part of you that has really hurt in the past so that you can sit and mourn with this person who mourns, then you are not doing solidarity. Yeah. And this is where it gets like tricky and, and confusing for, for leaders because they think, yeah. well, so am I just supposed to stand in front of my ward and list off my sins? <laughs> right. And even if they did that, yeah. they probably don't have very many shocking sins. I mean, sure, <laughs> there's probably the, the bishop that has some issues that probably need needs to need some help with. But in general, it's, you know, how I don't really struggle. You know, mm-hmm. I don't have cancer. I don't mm-hmm. have a porn issue. I, you know, so I don't know what to say to them. Mm-hmm. And I don't think even if I did, is that appropriate for me to do that? Right. Yeah. And that's where it's, it's, it's tough. Right. It absolutely. And it takes discernment. It takes wisdom. And again, in Brene Brown's research, she, she talks about this. That vulnerability is not oversharing. Hmm. It's actually the opposite of yeah. vulnerability. Typically, when we are oversharing, there is some element of trying to manufacture a connection. Hmm. That's, that's usually where it's coming from. We're trying to manufacture a connection with you, and it ends up doing the opposite. And so when we're thinking of what we want to share, you do have to use discernment. Brene talks about how you want to only share with people who have earned the right to hear your story. 
If you are laying out all of your sins from the pulpit, I can guarantee that there are many, 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 many people in that congregation who can't hold what you just said. Right. And they're almost repelled by it. Absolutely. They have not earned the right to hear your story. Like generally, it typically doesn't work general, I mean, on a general level, but maybe yeah. one-to-one, yeah. it can work. It's more yeah. potent. Absolutely. So you have to see the, the time and place. You have to be wise with this. Are there times when it can be really powerful for a teacher or a leader to get up and say something and be vulnerable in front of a group? Absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. When I was having faith struggles and I had been just doing this all by myself for a whole year, and I imagined in my head that I'm the only person still sitting in the pews that has this level of questions yeah. about this, about this church. And, and what triggered this for me was that my daughter had an injury and my wonderful ward was fasting and praying for my daughter. Mm. And I was feeling the solidarity in that. Wow. But it also made so clear to me how alone I was in this deep thing that no one could see was going on. And I wasn't about, I had been dealing with for a year and hadn't told a soul. And I'm a very foolhardy person. I am not um, advocating this for people (laughs) because it's not like it was 100% smooth sailing when I did this. But I got up in, it happened to be a fasting testimony day when they were fasting for my daughter and the injury had just happened. And I got up and thanked everyone. And just in the course of that, I said, you know what? We're so good at this. We're so good at this when I, I've got it. My daughter has an injury, but I've been dealing with something inside me for so long. And I'm just so aware that I could have used this kind of, I didn't use the word solidarity because yeah. I didn't have that in my vocabulary at the time, but I could have used that solidarity around my questioning. Yeah. And I just said, I just want any of you out there to know who are dealing with these kinds of things. You're not alone. Yeah. And something miraculous happened. I, I mean, people came out of the woodwork that I would have never dreamed had questions themselves, that now I'm a safe place. Right, right. And I think going back to that that moment of, you know, striving for solidarity doesn't mm-hmm. mean, again, connected with oversharing, you don't yeah. have to overshare on the details. You Absolutely. didn't have to come out and stand up and say, well, I have this issue with this church history thing and that. Exactly. And, and did you know this? Mm-hmm. Right. But you just said, I am wrestling with faith or mm-hmm. however you said it. Yep. And that alone is enough for mm-hmm. people to say, oh, okay, I'll lean into that. Absolutely. Okay. And it was important that I didn't do that with the intent to have people rally around me. Yeah. I did it with the intent to hopefully let someone else not know that they're not alone. Yeah, exactly. And it did that. And because of that, it was it was positive. Now, it opened up a whole new can of worms in my journey that other people <laughs> knew I was struggling with my faith. Yeah. That, and I'm... I'm grateful for it because now I know what it feels like to be marginalized yeah. and know what it feels like to be mistrusted when I was trusted in a certain way and then I'm not. That's a value. It was very hard to go through, yeah. and, but I've learned some things. Yeah. And I think that's another mm-hmm. important point about solidarity is it yeah. doesn't mean when you move that direction, things don't get even more messier. Oh, like it, it can even get, get more out of control, right? And, Unintended consequences yeah. all over the place. Yeah. And I would say if more of us were able to make that move in appropriate ways that are not oversharing, but are appropriate to the situation, appropriate to what we're trying to accomplish, it would invite a deeper solidarity. Yeah. And I will say I have experienced a deeper solidarity from that vulnerability 
in my work than I ever had before that point. Yeah. Another example of this in my own life that maybe applies here is uh, a lot of people know this, but in, in, so I'm the youngest of four kids. I have two older brothers. All three of the boys when, uh, in the family, we were bishop at the same time. And they have you know teenage kids. You can imagine the unintended pressure that's maybe in a family when these kids show up to Sunday dinner and their father and two uncles are bishops. It, there's, naturally, we think, I think that's what you're supposed to do to be successful in this church, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, nobody's fault. Nobody intended that. And I don't even know if that's what they feel, but I sort of recognize this part, mm-hmm. right? And so we have a, a family home evening as an a, a extended family, and I'm teaching, and I take an opportunity to share the fact that as a youth, mm-hmm. I uh, had multiple visits with my bishop to confess some things that I had mm-hmm. messed up, mm-hmm. right? And it just takes a moment to say, I'm not the bishop. Like, uh, that's my title, but it's, that doesn't mean I'm perfect. Like, in your, when I was your age, like, I wrestled with some things, mm-hmm. much like you are. So there's no shame if you have to go there. And I think yeah. that's, like, for individuals, you know, going back to leaders who are struggling with, you know, am I supposed to stand up and mm-hmm. share my sins or whatever? Oftentimes, you don't even have to share what you're going through today if you don't know how to put words to it. Mm-hmm. But if any parent out there that's had had to go to the bishop at some point in their life, why haven't you shared that with your children? Because mm-hmm. that's only going to help. Mm-hmm. I can't see how that could go, go wrong for the most part. But. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it's a it's both and. I'm the both and girl, uh-huh. <laughs> right? Yeah. There's value in both. Because if we only ever feel comfortable talking about the things that we've gotten licked, we've yeah. taken care of it, it's all good, I'm right. on the straight and narrow now, it is still giving that impression. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I wish we could do as a culture, truly, is make more friends, better friends with our humanity. Yeah. That, to recognize that, and, and unfortunately, again, it's fraught. And I'm just pointing out how it is fraught. Yeah. I, I'm not saying anything is right, wrong, whatever. But it is fraught when our actions are tied to worthiness and talk of worthiness. And I know we really try, we really try to talk about worth being separate from worthiness. But sometimes that's a distinction without a difference, to be honest. It's hard as people for our brains to really take that in. And so it's the whole, I just think it's important to note that. It's important to note that we have problems with our own humanity, yeah. even though it is inevitable and it is part of all of us. Yeah. And this is the soup that you referenced or like it's, yes. we're just in the soup of unintended shame and things that yes. nobody meant it to be there. And no. this is still the restored gospel, but it's, it's messy yes. and, and we need to point out, recognize it and then say, all right, how do we, how do we reach more solidarity? And frankly, we want our spiritual practice and our religion to make us feel good. Yeah. This is what most people want. Yeah. We come to, to church on Sunday to feel good. Yeah. Right. And the equation works. I did A, right? B, and C, and, and now D comes along. And right? now I can pat myself on the back. The problem is that that is actually not the Christian message hmm. to just feel good. Right. Like that is not the example of Jesus. Jesus didn't come here to show us how to have comfortable lives. Right. He did not. He, he showed us how to descend into the very abyss of what's difficult about humanity. Yeah, what there's, is no, difficult, there's no, uh, there's no surrender in feeling good. No, I mean, there's no reason to reach for the Savior when I'm like, oh, life's good. Like, I'm glad you're there, Savior, but I'm good. You know. And there's no growth in it. Yeah. And there's yeah. no empathy in it. There's no growing of compassion for other people if we are just keeping ourselves above it. Yeah. So one of the things that is hard, one of the big barriers I see to this 
is our narrative of if I feel uncomfortable inside, the spirit has fled. Hmm. Because guess what? When someone is being messy, it's going to make us feel a little uncomfortable. And if we're ever going to move toward more of a solidarity model, we are going to have to tolerate some discomfort and recognize that sometimes when things are new, they are uncomfortable. (laughs) Sometimes when our insides just want to stay happy, we can tend toward a toxic positivity, I think, sometimes in our culture that, sure, I have some bad things, but life is great. I have the gospel. I can repent. I can have the atonement. I don't have to really suffer with that. But I think that the move and the invitation of mature Christianity is to hold all the grief in one hand and the gratitude in another hand and let them inform one another. It is not in running away. Because if you just stay in the grief, that's going to be heavy. If you just stay in the the gratitude of things and the bright side of things, you become saccharine. You actually become less empathetic. You become less helpful. You become more judgmental. We have to hold the grief as well. And it's something we're not, we, we haven't talked about it. We don't talk about it openly as an invitation that, you know what, even on a Sunday, even in an elders quorum or relief society lesson, it's okay to be a little challenged and uncomfortable. Yeah. I think that's a really great point is because it's natural, you know, someone raise their hand in Sunday school, they state something that's vulnerable and mm-hmm. open, and I feel just uncomfortable, so they must be oversharing. And yes. sometimes it, you can misinterpret what oversharing is because I think, well, obviously they overshared because I feel uncomfortable that they yep. went way too detailed into yep. that thing. And and we should, and it keeps happening. Maybe we should make an adjustment or I'll let the bishop Absolutely. know or whatever. Right? Absolutely. And there's, a, and I will just also point out there's a generational component to this mm. for sure. Yeah. I know when I was a Relief Society teacher, bless my Relief Society, like I'm not the easiest person. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I noticed, I definitely noticed that I was more of a polarizing character mm-hmm. because I do tend to say things as they are, as I see them. And, And what I noticed was it made the older sisters, not all of them, but a lot of them very uncomfortable and I needed to talk into, right? While the younger ones were texting me, thank you, thank you, thank you for saying it. You know, there is a, there is a generational component where the younger people coming up in the church are actually needing and aching for this kind of solidarity and vulnerability. Yeah. And and that's a great point that as you reach for solidarity or try and create a culture of solidarity, don't just assume that it's going to be refreshing to everybody in the room. There's Absolutely. going to be some resistance to it, some pushback, 100%. and that may take a leader to say, I get it. I hear what you're saying. Yep. We love Jana. Let's, I think it's important that she stay there, and I'm okay with these comments mm-hmm. she's making, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. And and to recognize that there's wisdom in both stances. Yeah. Like, there is something to the stiff upper lip that our, you know, <laughs> the, the, the older people in our church have that my mother's generation have that boy, I could use some of it and so could my children and yeah. I see it, right? right? So it takes all of us. Right. Because yeah, we don't want to marginalize those. Absolutely now. not. You know, we don't want to just ship the marginalization. We don't want to ship them off, but yeah. but we all need to be invited into a little bit of discomfort. Yeah. A little bit of discomfort. One of my favorite quotes from Joseph Smith was by proving opposites is truth made manifest. And I love that because there is wisdom in all stances. We tend to we tend toward a, a way of speaking in the church that things are good and bad, right and wrong, you know, mm-hmm. rather than, you know what, there's good in that stance, there's good in that stance, this one hold, holds us back, that one holds us back. You know, I think uh, there's, there's great wisdom in, in taking the wisdom of 
all ways of doing things. That's, yeah. why, that's why we need us all to be the body of Christ. Yeah. So I feel like, am I, have I taken you off the, the outline at all or have I guided you? <laughs> Sometimes yeah, I jump down wormholes. So where, where's a good, good next it's step? It's all good. So I think we, we've talked about some of the things that kind of come in the way of mm-hmm. this, which maybe I'll just mention a couple of others. But this the, the mentality I just spoke of that I'm saying is wonderful which is the pull up your bootstraps and put your shoulder to the wheel and, yeah. you know, all that <laughs> mentality we've got going, which is such a blessing, yeah. is not the answer for everyone all the time. And so we, we just need to keep that in mind, that we do need to pay attention to the suffering. We do need to let it in and we do need to know about it in other people. The other barrier that we have in this, and this is in reaching out in solidarity, not just to our neighbors and ward members, but to maybe are people, other people in the neighborhood who are not of our faith. One of the things that can get in the way is this idea that we are right. We are the one true. We are right about everything. And I have nothing to learn from you. Hmm. Right. And I think it's one of the biggest downfalls we have in missionary work is that we assume that other people don't have something to teach us. So again, key to solidarity is a back and forth. It is, I'm here to help you. You're here to help me. I have something to learn from you you might have something to learn from me. Yeah. And really having that with, I mean, because that's where the, like, that's how you sort of get to that level of mortal to mortal is yes. saying like, we're on equal ground here. I have something to teach you. You have yep. something to teach me. Yes. And together we can, you know, have God teach us something mm-hmm. even greater, you know? Absolutely. And viewing one another with just deep dignity, putting on that lens when you approach another person to try to see them the way that God sees them. Yeah. is integral to this. Yeah. You have to have it. Any other uh, pitfalls or however you <laughs> Yeah, them, I so. we definitely do have some pitfalls. <laughs> I think it can be a problem that we have a lack of mutual accountability in a lot of our systems in the church because mm-hmm. of our hierarchy again. And what, what do you mean by mutual accountability? <laughs> well, we're accountable to, you know, to the bishop for how we're doing our faith journey, but mm-hmm. we don't get that same thing back. Oh, yeah, yeah. We and they're the very people we go to for help. This is why we all feel like crap needing help. <laughs> I'll just say it. You know, uh-huh. it's like if I have something going on in my life, I feel like I've got to go to the Relief Society president, um, the bishop, and I don't want anyone else to know, right? And that will never let us into each other's frailties mm-hmm. in that way. And the leaders feel like, you know, I had an amazing, amazing She was my visiting teacher at the time (laughs) when I was going through a really dark part of my faith journey. And I just remember my testimony of visiting teaching going through the roof because of the support and love that she gave me. And I did notice, and I've, I've talked to her about this, over time, after a year of being in that struggle, it started to feel painful to me because I didn't know anything about her struggles. And Mm. you start to feel needy. You start to feel like something, I'm the broken one. You're the one that has it all together. We don't have many opportunities for mutual accountability, mutual sharing. And it's one of the things that I have tried to, I made one little suggestion to the way we're doing compassionate service to try to bring more of the back and forth there. I, when someone needs is having a baby when someone is having a surgery it needs a meal this is what we do well right Uh Uh so can we at least not just call the ministers of that person that are assigned to them can we also call the people they minister to 
Let's give them an opportunity for reciprocity. Let's give them an opportunity to give back a meal now when I'm in a place of weakness. Yeah. So that we're having some sort of mutual connection there where it's not just one way. The thing about our hierarchy is it goes one way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and I remember that feeling as a bishop where certain individuals, you know, they keep coming back because like this isn't improving, like I'm still struggling. And, you know, and obviously it was typically around some type of sinning or whatever. And I sort of got to a point as a leader, like, okay, I've shared all the scriptures I have around this issue. I've shared those three articles I always share. Like I'm, and inside I'm thinking I'm out of stuff to give you. Like, I don't know. And I can see from that side of the desk, it can be very frustrating. I'm like, I keep coming, I'm sharing, sharing, sharing. I'm getting nothing from you, but just links to articles and this and that, but I'm getting yeah. none of you, yeah. right? And again, not that the bishop needs to have that duty of giving, giving, giving all of him. That's yeah. why it's so important for him to say, why don't we put you, you know, connect you with this circle of people mm-hmm. and together you can be real and find solidarity. It doesn't always have to be at the bishop or the hierarchy, right? Absolutely. And this is another really important distinction, right? If you're the bishop, it's not like you have to say, oh, yeah, now let me tell you, share a sin with you. That's right. not what I'm suggesting. Yes, exactly. Right. But what I am suggesting is that we lean more into empathy than sympathy. This is another distinction that Brene mm. Brown makes that is really important. Sympathy is that top-down kind of thing. And there can be this feeling, whether intended or not, of pity of, oh, you know. And it, 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 some of the examples she gives of phrases that, that come from that are like, oh, bless your heart. Or the, oh, yeah, you want a sandwich? Or like, oh, just like, oh, the, well, at least, at least you have this going for you. At least you have that going for you. Or just trying to jump straight to gratitude or jump straight to something else where we're not just really, what people really need is empathy. And I think this is a really important part of pastoral care that I would hope that leaders want to offer to people who are suffering, which is empathy is actually getting down in the hole with the other person. Right. And it doesn't require you to share your stuff with them. But what it does require is it requires you to reach a part of yourself that understands the pain they're in. It's a vulnerable move. And it is not about fixing it. We're such a fixing people. Yeah, we feel like we have an answer yeah. for everything. Uh-huh. Sometimes all a person needs is to be witnessed and to be validated that what they're going through is hard. Yeah. And That's this is it. very difficult to do at times because you also don't necessarily want to go to the point of saying like, oh, well, I have a, a cousin's wife that's dealing with this and I, you know, I empathize with where you're at and, you, yeah. and they're thinking like, no, like that's not. And how did this become about you? Right. FYI. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so anything more we could consider if better getting in the hole with them and yes. empathizing. So it's like, this is one of the Brene Brown quotes I love. Rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. What you can do is make a connection with that person. And one of the things that that can look like is, man, I don't even know what to say. I'm just so glad you told me. That's yeah. one of the phrases she offers. You don't have to fix it. The human soul just wants to be witnessed. That's all it wants. It wants to know that it's not alone, that it's not crazy, that it's not evil, (laughs) that it is, that we all want to know that we're valued, that we belong, that we can be as broken as we are and still be wanted in association. Yeah, that's powerful. And I know like in the the bishop's office setting where 
you know, s- stating things like, I don't care how many times this happens. You're always, you can come back to this office as many times mm-hmm. as you need and Absolutely. I'll be here every time. Yep. And, or I know it was probably so difficult for you to call and set yeah. this appointment, but you're here. And I think that's great. Right. And, and, and we can celebrate that you're yeah. doing this for yourself. And let's see where we go from mm-hmm. here, right? Absolutely. Uh, rather than, okay, I understand what you're going through and here's a three-step process and <laughs> call me in a week and we'll see where you're at. You know, mm-hmm. And that sort of when it, it misses the, the empathy. It, it yeah. does because we don't feel heard and understood. And if you don't know what to say, you can even respond with a, what I'm hearing you say is, hmm. did I get that right? Yeah. If you do that and then ask if you got that right, that person can say yes and then they feel heard and it's wonderful or they can say no i've got a little more yeah yeah and 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 a lot of times especially in the the context of somebody confessing like opening the door of saying you know i realize it's probably gonna be really hard for you to get every detail out in this Mm -hmm. meeting and and we can do this we can have five meetings if that's what it takes but you know just whatever you feel the strength to get through this time let's let's do that right and not putting all the pressure on absolutely i think something i've learned through my own coaching business because I'm here to help people get through their stuff too, right? I mean, this is what I do. But what I've noticed is that without people being witnessed and heard and validated, that move is what turns on the healing resources that come from within a person, that they're the only healing resources that can actually help. And it comes from this move of love and solidarity. Yeah. Because it's in that solidarity when they can finally say, mm-hmm. I feel heard, understood, I will now turn to the Savior. Right? And by the way, I'm worth that. Yeah, you're you're worthy of turning to the I'm Savior. I'm worthy yeah. of turning to the yeah. Savior. And then I can let that in as and see the the divinity within ourselves. I mean, this is really where we start to make big differences in our lives is when we know we are worth it. And unfortunately, our worthiness culture fights that. Yeah. It fights the very thing that can help us attach to the atonement and experience healing. Yeah. Any other pitfalls or things that, before I so take what, a turn? So one here. last one that yeah. comes to mind is our culture of self-reliance. Mm. Again. Beautiful great, principle. Great thing. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> you probably got a lot of wheat in the basement. Uh, we got the- <laughs> a lot of wheat in the basement. But I wish we had for every lesson we have on self-reliance, we also go and really study like King Benjamin about how we don't judge people in their need. That if you do that, the sin is yours, yeah, <laughs> right? right? Like we do have, and again, this is very American and because a very conservative Republican kind of culture permeates the church in America and in Utah in big, big ways. Yeah, and I'm a conservative Republican, so I'm, I'm in solidarity with people. Yeah, Absolutely. There. Solidarity is right. there. I'm, I, again, I am not yeah. I, on yeah, you're any not, of these things. Right. <laughs> I, <laughs> we're, we're just like tiptoeing into this. I, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not saying anything is wrong with any of it, but we do need to right. recognize, yeah, you recognize it. we've got to recognize, we have to, to look at ourselves. Yeah. We have to. Being self-aware is like so powerful. I'm here in, if Christianity comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable, I'm the one that gets to afflict the comfortable and I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, it's just kind of what I'm called to in this right. life. Yeah. But yeah. that viewpoint, the downfall, the danger is that we can start to blame people and think we know their story. Yeah. They are the reason they're, they're They the are pit. the reason they are in this problem. And if they would just do what I'm doing, they would be successful. And they are obviously making a choice for themselves. It's easier. They're lazy. We have a lot of stories we tell. 
And I've had these stories that I am not immune from this. Yeah. I have had these stories that if that person would just do what I do, they wouldn't be sad about this. Yeah. When I have absolutely no idea what their life circumstances are. And what I recognize, the more I work with people and I have a unique opportunity in coaching with people because people are very vulnerable with me. People do tell me the good, bad, and ugly of where they are. When you lean in and get to know another person, your esteem of them only goes up. You really, if you can put yourself in another person's shoes, Brene has another really great quote about this. In order to empathize with someone's experience, you must be willing to believe them as they see it mm. and not how you imagine their experience to be. Oh, That's so good. Right? So crucial. So crucial. Yeah. You can't, putting yourself in someone else's shoes is not, well, if I had that problem that they had, this is how I would handle it. And you see this surface a lot in the faith transition or oh, faith, faith crises, right? It's like, you're just reading the wrong stuff. And no, yeah. that's not what yeah. Joseph's meant at that time. Like, no, yes. you're if looking I just at it wrong. explain right? this to you, yeah. polygamy is going to make perfect sense to you. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. I promise you it won't right. <laughs> to and that I, person. And I often use the example of mm -hmm. if someone was to come to you as an individual and say, I am terrified. I can't sleep at night because aliens came and abducted me. Yeah. In your logical brain, you're thinking, okay, something's off here. Aliens mm -hmm. do not. But if the aliens did, mm -hmm. that would be very scary. And so go with them to that place mm -hmm. like, whoa, that is. And what did they experience yeah. that they interpreted that way? Right. And that yeah. experience for them was real. We've got to stop talking people out of their experience. Right, right. We've got to stop talking people out of their feelings. Because naturally you want to convince them that aliens didn't come. And once right. we convince them, this all goes It'll away. It'll all go away. But these are real feelings, Absolutely. even though they're maybe based on some other issues. 100%. Know. So yeah. if someone is struggling in some way and they continue to struggle in some way, we get very uncomfortable with this because, and it's part of what fuels the shame in ourselves of why we don't want to reach out to someone else for help. Because if I, I'm not being self-reliant, I'm doing something wrong. I don't have the right resources. I should be going to my family member first. What you don't know is that my family member is not equipped to help me with this or yeah. they're deeper problems with that or whatever the story is. When you know someone's story, it allows, I mean, Brene, I heard her once say it this way. She said, what if, if you think about someone who you don't think is doing their very best, you think they could do better, right? Imagine that person, hold them in your heart and then imagine that God came to you and said, that person is doing their very best. What would that mean to you? Yeah, it shifts and she said yeah. that people start crying when she asks them that question. Yeah, Because, oh, I have to totally deal with them in a totally different way now. If that's their best, and FYI, my best is looking pretty bad in some <laughs> other way. Yeah. With that, we, right. you know, we don't look at that in the moment. But I do notice that in our culture, we are very uncomfortable with weakness. And that, that's American culture. That's big. Yeah. But we are very uncomfortable with weakness and we don't want it attached to us. Yeah. So really helpful. And and one direction I want to go on, you've sort of touched on this a little bit, but as far as like yeah. solidarity as it relates to sin, because if someone in the ward is diagnosed with cancer, mm -hmm. there's something about that that's easier to sit with and show solidarity. And mm -hmm. it's interesting because we don't like go to their house and think, man, if you just would have avoided the processed foods your life and exercise more, you know, like, yeah. why did you get yourself in this situation, right? I mean, we don't go there with cancer. We don't, but right? when the individuals like 
keeps returning to the porn, we're just like, yeah. what is wrong with you? Just stop you? it, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. And sometimes getting to solidarity as it relates to sin yep. is is much more difficult. Any any thoughts on that? Very, I mean, it just just validate that. Like it is very hard to get our minds in into that place. And this is what I would say. Yes, we have free will and free choice in this life. We do. 100%. Big believer in free agency. Of yeah. course we do. <laughs> and sometimes what we see is the possibilities for the choices we can make are limited by our experience. They are limited by our personality. They are limited by where what we have been raised with. And you have no idea what that person's struggle is. And until you are willing to sit and just deeply, deeply listen to somebody without judgment, you have to withhold judgment from that person. You can still hold your ideals, but you need to withhold your judgment from that person and really listen to their story. I promise you there is a very good reason that has nothing to do with a lack of character, a lack of trying, a lack of whatever we imagine is going on with them, there is a very good reason that that choice keeps popping up in their life Yeah, and why that is their struggle. You know, I remember one individual, as I was bishop that I've worked with often, and we were about the same age Mm -hmm. and we had met often over and over again with different issues he was dealing with. And I remember one time talking with another friend, just feeling like, you know, this life just feels like a crapshoot. Like this guy did nothing different than what I did. But his marriage ended in divorce, which cascaded into these other issues. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I was probably, you know, I, there's probably a variety of people I dated back in the day that if I married one of them, that it could have mm-hmm. gone in the same direction. Yep. And so it's like, you realize it's like, oh, it's nothing necessary that I've done. We're just in on different paths and in different parts of mortality. Absolutely. And that really helped me realize like, okay, you're not the problem. I know this is hard for you, but... Let's just keep going. You know, it helped me reach solidarity a little bit easier. So maybe a good rule of thumb in places like that are to have the self-awareness that if you have not been through that, you have no standing to have an opinion about it. Yeah, (laughs) right, right. right. I mean, really, when you haven't been touched by a particular difficulty in life, you probably shouldn't be telling someone else how to do it. Yeah. Right? But you also shouldn't, that shouldn't like keep you away from them, right? That's the, the absolutely. Part, right? yeah. yeah. But what it means is, you know, you've got two ears and one mouth. You need to shut up. Yeah. You need to shut up when someone is in pain. And especially if it's something you have not been through, you just need to listen, 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 and make sure that person feels heard. Yeah. That's it. That's your job, period. Because you are in investigation mode. And it's kind of like, I wish I could remember the the exact phrase, but it's like the idea that I had a million theories on how to raise kids right up until I had them. Uh-huh, right. <laughs> right. And you have a million, I have a million theories of how to parent teenagers while my kids are eight. Right. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the truth. We do a lot of damage when we think we know better because it's working for us. Yeah. That's powerful. So, any other principle before we wrap up that we haven't hit on that need to give you a chance to do? And then we've got um, a few more questions. But. So, I mean, the only other thing that I would say that I, I just wanted to talk about is how do we actually do this? Yeah. That, that's it? like, we've sort of talked about it. We've unpacked What's it. The this is, so where do we go from here? That's what I love talking about all the problems. That's what I'm good at. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what I would say in your own sphere of influence. I would, I think that, People are entitled to their own own inspiration 
to figure out exactly how to invite this in. But think outside the box with how we do this and how we might encourage, if you're a leader, if you're a Relief Society president, if you're a bishop, if you're whatever, and you think that solidarity might be something that would help people in your area through the struggles that they are going through, perhaps think of, get creative about ways that you can people up with one another to talk about their things that actually do know what's going on. There are reasons why we have support groups for cancer survivors or for people who have lost people to cancer or people who have lost a child or people who have gone through things because there is this solidarity that comes from understanding you're not alone. So I don't know, maybe we could find some way to figure out what other people have been through and connect people to one another. Yeah. And I think this is really crucial, especially for bishops who naturally are just exhausted. I mean, they have a lot of responsibility, a lot on their plate. And I remember sort of feeling like, okay, this person's engaging with me. They've confessed something or they're going through a tough time. I need to continue to work with them. And yeah, Mm -hmm. sure, we'll bring in the therapy or whatever that's needed. But I felt like I didn't, I couldn't ask their permission or or to Mm -hmm. encourage them to go find solidarity elsewhere. Right. Right. And maybe that's an individual who's struggling with an addiction. Mm-hmm. Well, I know three other people who are further down the road than them, yep. and maybe they'll find some deeper solidarity there. And again, I'm not running off and telling them without their permission. Absolutely. But, but to start that stimulating that culture of saying like, mm-hmm. there's three people that I need to introduce you to, and here's what I want you to do, you know, yep. get together often or whatever it is. And then let's talk in six months and Absolutely. see where you're at. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Another thing we might be able to do is on a fifth Sunday or just in a in a lesson sometime, start having conversations about this. Start having conversations about vulnerability. Start having conversations about our Christian walk being inherently messy, that we can be a little uncomfortable with one another. Normalize that experience for the people in your ward. And you can validate that that's not everybody's cup of tea. Perhaps, you know, in your particular area, you decide to do this in a Sunday school where people can opt in or on a, you know, a group that meets, I don't know, in somebody's home or doing firesides or there are a million ways to do this, right? But start thinking outside the box of how you can welcome in these ideas of solidarity and learn about what it is to be empathetic. This is so in line with the gospel and with being Christ-like. Right. This is not some weird tangent we're going on. This is radical program. This is not. This is deepening (laughs) into being Christ-like, right? And this is like one thing, and again, I don't want to be too prescriptive here. Again, it's up to everybody's inspiration. And like you said, there's a million ways to do this. But I found that if you can find a venue to share each other's story. And one thing I did in in a ward is, you know, I'm a podcaster by profession and I've got the equipment. So I told the bishop, it was in holiday here, you know, plenty of, plenty of people to do whatever calling was in the ward, very saturated area for Latter-day Saints. And so I said, you know, I've got podcast equipment. Why don't I go around? I'll just like interview people and we'll hear their stories. And then I created a, a free podcast feed. And and it was remarkable for me to sit down like like this and just say, tell me about your mission. Right? I didn't start it with, okay, we're going to discuss your five favorite sins and your two favorite trials and how you overcame all that. And it was just like, tell me about like a time when your faith was tested. And the stories that came out of it, like just it naturally brought the word together. Now, typically in a Sunday school class and elders quorum, there's not enough time to really do that effectively. Yep. And so finding a, a way to share each other's story, the simplest mm-hmm. stories, 
and that humanizes people and Absolutely. brings them together. Absolutely. We have to understand if there is someone who really challenges you, mm. like you, it drives them you crazy when they speak or, you know, like, oh, I'm their leave side president. That person is coming again for yeah, yeah. whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah. Lean in. Yeah. Lean in. Because the more you get to understand that person, the more they make sense to you, the more their stories will change you, the more you will be enriched. Yeah. And I just think it's really important, especially for leaders to understand that, yes, you have keys. Yes, you have mantles. And we need to know the limits of that, that you do not have everybody's answer for them. Mm. You can be there to guide. You can be there to listen. But ultimately, we need to be trusting in people. Yeah. You know, we're dealing with a lot of adults. When people are adults, they need the dignity of having their own answers. And sometimes they just need a safe place to find it. Yeah. Or just really someone to sit with as they sort of go on their, yep. this journey of finding that, that answer. Yep. Right? I'm sure that's what your experience was like. It, it wasn't something that a bishop or a release site president said to you. Nope. It was, <laughs> it was your journey that, that led yeah. you closer to the divine that taught you. Right? Absolutely. And the structure and the people all all wonderful, empathetic people who were both helpful and roadblocks in yeah. my journey to heal yeah. what I was experiencing. You know, I just read about a tradition that the Quakers have mm -hmm. where they have like a committee of people that an individual can go to to talk through some life difficulties. But the only thing is you can't give that, that the group can't give you advice. They can mm -hmm. only ask questions mm -hmm. that maybe prod you to think deeper about certain things or yes. prod you in a certain way that where maybe the answer will come to you on your own. I Absolutely. think that's a great model to, to approach Absolutely. things with. Yeah. Other faith traditions have a discipline called a spiritual director hmm. that is, often does that as well. It's not a committee, it's a person, mm -hmm. but they are trained to hold that space and ask you the questions about your spiritual journey that will help you. I mean, if I could wave a magic wand, I would say, let's have a stake spiritual director that does not do our temple recommends, that does not is not responsible for our callings. So we're safe to be able to just say what we need to say and have those questions yeah. asked of us. Because oftentimes you say things means. just because you're processing, not because mm -hmm. you've come to some conclusion totally. about the thing, right? Totally. And, uh, you know, we do have that model again. It's mm -hmm. there. It's just hard to turn the engine on at times. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, what have we missed? Have we covered everything? We've solved the world's problems. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, this is this is just hopefully the beginning of a discussion because I'm one person and I've just kind right. of thought about this. But yeah. the thing that I think that this solidarity could bring to us is I have seen magic happen in, you know, I've, I've facilitated groups and retreats for people who are deeply questioning their faith. And when a group can get together, and can appropriately, for the purpose, share what is on their heart and their difficulties, not just what we see, but what's inside. And when they can experience safety for that, there is a magic that happens. That is where I have tasted like, whoa, this is a Zion community right here. This is a little piece of heaven. This is a little piece of the celestial kingdom happening right here in this room where we are just valuing and seeing another person. And so I just feel like there could be such benefit from allowing this idea to kind of percolate and see how we can apply that in our different spheres and hopefully recognize that vulnerability is a choice. It's, it's, you know, empathy is a choice. Empathy is a vulnerable choice. But 
we can learn how to do this responsibly in a way that builds connection. And I think that is really what salvation is all about. Why seal anyone to anyone for the next life if it's not all about connection? Yeah, absolutely. It's, a, it's like a, at the root of our doctrine. It absolutely. is. Yep. And again, this concept of solidarity, looking at solidarity next to service and understanding it too, like just mm-hmm. the concept in general is worth the price of a mission of this. And people may <laughs> listen and say, I don't necessarily agree with Janet mm-hmm. here and there and whatever, but that's fine. But it's fine. Step back and say, wow, like I can see the contrast now. Yeah. How can I like better apply the principle of solidarity rather than just defaulting to the service casserole again and again and Absolutely. again, which is great. It but is. But we're missing maybe a portion of the gospel that could really bless and sanctify us. A hundred percent. And the way that you know you have successfully brought some solidarity is that the person being served says that you're in solidarity. Yeah. It's not because you, you don't think you've that. done a bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't get to define what they need or if you've done a good job. Yeah. It requires dialogue. It requires being in deep conversation with other people and being willing to be real and not just the, oh, no, I'm fine. Yeah. No, really, I want to help you. No, I'm fine. Yeah. You know, like be okay to not be fine. Yeah. But then also offer that person opportunities to serve back so that we're not just pigeonholing people as the needy people. Yeah. This is not helping anybody. So when you get the, I'm fine, everything's okay, yep. we're great. And maybe we've we've hit on this already, but yeah. any advice you give, like how do you, like what if you are the ministering brother or sister and yeah. you're just like, I want to get in solidarity with people, but they're not letting me yeah. in, right? Absolutely. I mean, well, you know what? Maybe it's not a good fit for your <laughs> ministering assignment. Right? We, yeah. We're a little bit, you know, I understand the need for assigning these things. Uh-huh. I would encourage people to dive more into natural fits for ministering assignments yeah. and sticking with them and talking to people about what's working, what's not working, what do you need, what do you not need in your ministering assignments. So that's part of it. But the other part is these things take time. Right. And sure, maybe you don't want to have someone coming over to your house once a month, but maybe you need to be willing to explore that that, and do it in a new way. This is not just you checking up on me and seeing where I'm needy, (laughs) you know? Maybe this is where we can just join in friendship and have a mutual conversation. Yeah. I accept your rebuke. (laughs) I will (laughs) repent. And maybe it's a little uncomfortable, but maybe that's what it takes to get into solidarity is getting to know people, right? Yeah. So maybe that's the focus. And maybe when they say, man, what do I need? We've got to be better at learning what we need. Yeah. We focus so much on other people's needs in this church that we don't know what we need. Yeah, it's true. We need to take some time. Sometimes I don't know what I need. And yeah. if you don't know at the time, it's okay to say, you know, I, I don't even know. Yeah, that's a great response. I don't know what I need right now. I'm so glad to know that you care. And if something occurs to me, I will let you know. Yeah. You know, and if someone is telling me I don't need anything, I'll say, yeah, you could say, I, I get it. It's hard to know what we need. Yeah. Now, and I love the concept of just sort of looking, just mix it up a little bit and, and and I can see in the future, maybe instead of when I'm sort of tired of them just coming and visiting once yeah. a month or whatever, to be like, you know what we could do next month? Why don't, my wife doesn't enjoy going to movies. I love going to movies. You come to a movie with me. That's Perfect. what we're going to do. And then there, that might, just the different context and it may spark something. I think right? this is the magic of the ministering, the switch to ministering from right. home teaching and visiting teaching that we're missing out on. Yeah. The freedom to do it the way that serves us. Yeah. And that's why it can become ministering because we're actually doing, we're meeting those needs in a different way. Yeah. Right. Let's go for a walk. Let's do something else. We don't have to sit and do it in a living room anymore. Yeah. So 
if somebody wants to connect with you, mm-hmm. learn more about what you do, where would you send them? So right now, while I'm still constructing my website, uh-huh. <laughs> I would say I'm on Facebook, uh, Jana Johnson Spangler. And so send me a message. We can connect that way. You can find me professionally at symmetrysols.com. And you can connect to me from coaching services and other things there. But if you're interested in, I'm totally open in the Salt Lake City area, the you know, Wasatch Front, if you want to have me come talk to a group oh, yeah. about this kind of stuff. Things, I do yeah. firesides. I do firesides about doubt and questions. And I do it about just connecting and relationship and, and these kinds of issues and just deepening our Christian journey. That's kind of my wheelhouse. So Awesome. Last question I have, it's probably too much of a softball, but it's, it's a sincere <laughs> question. But how has your quest of understanding solidarity made you a better disciple or mm. follower of Jesus Christ? Mm. Yeah, in so many ways. You know, solidarity is something that invites, it's not a solitary journey anymore. It's not just about me, right? And that's the beauty of Christianity. The beauty is that it's not just about me. It gets me outside myself, which gets me outside of my own little suffering, my own little life, and gets me into something, connection with something bigger that's inspirational. And so with solidarity, it has completely changed the way that I see service in the church personally. Because I always have this on my mind to say, how can I more deeply honor this person? How can I get to know them? How can I get outside myself and my own ways of seeing things and meet someone where they are? And that does nothing but bring me more connection in my relationships, more meaning in my relationships, and creates a space where both of us, where me and the people that I'm working with and serving can feel more readily the love of our Savior. That concludes my interview with Jana Spangler. Lots of thoughts, lots of perspectives on this, right? And I, I would be willing to bet there's probably some angles or points of view that were shared here that maybe you don't fully embrace or maybe you disagree with a little bit. And that's okay. These discussions are worth having. They're worth exploring and seeing what we can learn. I hope you've learned something. I'd love to hear from you what perspectives you have around this concept of solidarity versus service. How can we better get to this point? Is it necessary or maybe service is just enough? I'd love to hear from you. You can go to leadingsaints.org slash contact or leave a comment on the post uh, on the leadingsaints.org website. And uh, let's keep this discussion going because I think there's uh, some rich some rich flavor in, in uh, this discussion that maybe can help us expand our efforts as Latter-day Saints. If you know of anybody else that we should maybe reach out to and interview, I'd love to hear it. So go to leadingsaints.org slash contact, send us a message, maybe uh, prep the person that uh, you're volunteering, that you're putting their name in so that we can more easily start that conversation. And I would love to have more conversations like this to see how we can better lead as Latter-day Saints. And remember, if you know someone who'd be a great fit for the How I Lead segment, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and submit your suggestion. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away. 
and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.